Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. With me tonight is artist Laurie Blondeau. Laurie is part of the exhibition Do It Like the Sun, Every Day is a New Day, which Taryn Hughes from AKA curated for Art Athena, which is one of Europe's oldest contemporary art fairs, and also features the work of Scott Benabadden, Svea Ferguson, and Leslie Sutnet. So your project in Art Athena is Cosmos Qua Vision Quest? Yes, and it's from an older shoot because it comes out of when I was taking the Cosmos Qua around um, different locations, basically in North America, and doing photo shoots with her. And I was in California visiting, doing some work with James Luna, and we drove from California to Phoenix. And the desert, we went through the desert, right? So I did some photo shoots in the desert, and I thought, oh, this is like her vision quest. She's on a vision quest. And so I had never produced the images until uh, Wanda Nanabush a few years back curated a show called Sovereign Acts, and it was a group show, and those were the images um, I had proposed to her to be in the show. It was a triptych, and yeah, so that so the work has never been seen until a couple years ago. You took the photos, but had I never, never used them. Interesting. Yeah, I have a big part of my practice. I have a, a lot of photos that have not been seen um, from photo shoots I've done, but I just have never produced them into a series of work, which because I think my performance art practice has taken up a huge part of my practice where my exhibition resume isn't as vast, I think, as my performance art. Like, I'm more known for my performance art, but... But then is that part of it, too, in that the performance, is it that you don't want to take away from the performance either by showing images, or...? Oh, God, no. Okay. No, no, not at all. Uh, I I really find the, the still images beautiful, and they capture a moment when I do artist lectures I never show moving images like Mm. video because I just find that it takes away from the performance work for some reason I don't know it just really bothers me so I rarely show moving images just recently I think I've started showing moving images so that the performance exists as a performance at that time yeah I think that's a part of it and then I just find video unless you can afford to do a major you know shoot with three cameras and have an editor and stuff that when you videotape just a single channel video of a performance there's just something just gets lost in it where a still image captures that moment in time and you're also, I'm assuming, hiring a photographer then or working with a photographer? I that work you know? with a photographer. Which is very different than setting up a camera in almost a documentary style where it's just like... Yeah, I, I usually, like I set up the shots and everything and then, um, and I get all copyright of of the images that the photographer, I will give the photographer, it depends what my agreement is with the photographer, but I always, you know, for publications and stuff, I always say, well, photo credit, you know, for the... You know, and and I don't have to, but I just, I like to promote other artists. So I think that's why I do that. Sure. Um, There's some artists like Dana Claxton, for instance, she'll, um, she actually presses the button. Okay. Yeah, because she's never in any of her photographs, her photo series. She's, she does, she always hires people. And so, yeah, she, so she presses the button. She doesn't have to give um, Hmm. 
the photographer. So there's certain rules around getting around copyright and when you're working with with a photographer. And also, I think the photographer, it, it it's something you negotiate with them as an artist. So Well, sure. But then, like you say, you're also the one still framing and composing the image. And then yeah. they're sort of helping to realize it by being that hand on the trigger. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And is, that's part of the performance too, then I assume, is thinking about how you can document it through photographs or how some of that will come about? Or? Yeah, like I always, because, you know, I want to be able to sell my work. And that was one way that I thought was allowed me to do that was by photographing it. And um, at the moment, um, I last summer, Adrian and I both worked with Michael Farnan, right. who's finishing off his PhD at University of Western and part of his PhD is an exhibition which opens on Friday and me and Adrian will both be in Waterloo at the University of Waterloo so we're going to drive to London Ontario to go for his opening but he we worked with him he paid us it's his work right right. he made like a 40-minute film but part of the deal for us too as artists is that we get to use some of the footage after his PhD you know because he has to own it so like it like it is his but um one thing i really loved about um the images in in his film and it's filmed so beautifully clark ferguson was our videographer and i want to pull stills from it and make large sea prints because they're just so beautiful it's so beautiful and yeah, so I always look at ways I can create um, two-dimensional work in order for me to sell or, you know, if somebody invites me to an exhibition, I probably do a couple exhibitions a year. So. Well, that's so, significant. So. Yeah, so so I'm always looking at new ways of, of creating work out of my work that I do as a performance artist. And then you were talking about sea prints, and you've printed some as silk screens in the past too. Is that correct? So it, it can depend and vary. Yeah, I've done. Um, yeah, it depends. Um, I was at the Bam Center, so they they had a program at the time when you lead a residency that you they invite you. You don't. You can say no, but they would like you to make a set of prints, and you get half of them, and then they keep half of them and sell them. And so I did. Um, I led a residency in 2005, and so that's the I, I did a silk screen, and then I've also done them in um, cyanotype and a Van Dyke. Right. I've done those uh, just from working with friends of mine who are also artists, but working in photography. And we just one time there was Shelley Nero, Marianne Barkhouse, Rosalie Favel, and myself did a residency at this college that doesn't exist anymore called White Mountain. Was it White Mountain? No, Elliot Lake. It's in Elliot Lake, but I think it was called White Mountain. It was an art school, and Rosalie Favel taught there. So we all went, we applied for some grants, and we got the money to go and work in photography for a couple of weeks, doing mm. different, teaching each other different um, techniques in photo-based printing huh. and stuff. So so quite collaborative then, working together. Yeah, yeah, but working on your own work, but. You know, we took turns um, teaching our skill that we had to each other. So that huh. so was, yeah, it was interesting. So to bring it back to Cosmos Quad, but these are photographs, not prints. I mean, not 
handmade prints. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And these are, to my understanding, photos where you're placing yourself in the image and sort of dialoguing with some of the pinup girl images. Is that correct? Or am I... Well, a lot of my research, um, I think back then when I was looking, really doing some hardcore research around the Indian princess and the squaw, right. um, of course, led me into looking at the pinup girls and to looking at Betty Page and uh, some of those images because I really think there was a connection between how a lot of the Indian princess images were were sort of created and and pinup girls like maybe not as sultry but there some of them are you know they're Indian princess images of, of them in canoes or on the ledge you know like they're a bit uh, not as sultry as you know <laughs> pinup girls um, so that sort of how I segued into the pinup girls and then okay. so I've done a few different you know, looking at those poses and interjecting myself as the Cosmo Squad into those poses and recreating something absurd. Yeah, the, that absurdity. There's often, I'm thinking with those, somewhat of a, I want to say a humor might be the wrong word, but an irony or a humor. Just I think a, there's both. That's a question I sort of grapple with. Like, how do you, how do you have humor without irony? Or how, and then there's that satire aspect too of sort mm -hmm. of playing up and, and yeah, reimagining or speaking back to these images or just presenting different images. Yeah, presenting different but absurd images too, right? Like, you know, like the Cosmo Squad's pretty out there. She's pretty loud. She's pretty big. You know, she's got a bouffant hairdo. And so to me, that's really because you really don't besides my brown skin like what do you see of an indian princess in those images you right. know uh, so it's more this idea i think when i was creating the cosmos squad i was thinking about sort of the history of cosmopolitan magazine and how it has never really i think even to this date they've only had maybe a couple uh covers of women of color okay like specifically black women they're there hasn't been a lot. Right. And so um, when I was looking at the history of Cosmopolitan magazine, I just thought like, wow, this magazine's really created for a white audience and it's not an audience for like for native women or women of color. And so I, that's where I thought like, I'm going to make my own magazine. Right. And so and but like as you say absurd and what's that value that you're finding in making an absurd image in those veins well it's it's just you know like if you look at the original cosmo squad where you know i'm like i'm like all over the magazine cover where in most cosmopolitan magazines you look and the woman is very like she's a small part of the cover because right. then they have all the articles right where i wanted to be absurdly like pushing my boobs together and pouty face pouty lips and you know so that to me that was the absurdity of it because you would never see something like that on the cosmopolitan magazine and bringing in some different discussions at that point it's and that plays off some of the performance you do too which is also working sometimes in the satire is that correct or yeah yeah i think with my personas um betty daybird belle sauvage i think all those um 
oh, well, it's only two personas. <laughs> I think that's all I have. <laughs> I just only have two. And that was a funny thing in the beginning of my career because I s- became really well-known with the Cosmos Squad, so everybody thought that that's all I worked in was per- persona, personified characters. And I was just like, no, I do other stuff. You know? <laughs> like, crush berries or yes. <laughs> and gut fish and, you know. So, yeah, there's always satire with those two personas. Hmm. There has to be. Because oh. I think some of the content of the performances I've done with those two characters has been sort of, it's kind of a way of easing the audience into some really difficult history. Hmm. Like talking, like with Belle Sauvage, uh, when I've performed her, I talk about the past system which was a system created to monitor the movement of Indigenous people when they were first put on reserves and it was getting a pass. You needed a pass to leave the reserve and a permit saying how long you could be away from the reserve. And that isn't a history that wasn't that long ago. Um, That's a history that probably, they say the last permit was handed out in 1962 and I know my mother she remembers the passes hmm. and she's 83 and uh, yeah. so you know when you're dealing with a difficult history if I was just to talk about that it would be kind of I think it would be it's kind of like when you're trying to teach somebody about sort of the history of indigenous people and if you're only going to be talking about say for instance if we're only going to talk about the residential school experience that's in itself, I think, is it's so difficult because of what that history has done to Indigenous people. Like they need, there needs to be some other aspect of teaching. If you're gonna, you can't just teach that alone. And I think that's why institutions are struggling with how do they indigenize, how do they implement the TRC and the recommendations that were made. Hmm because of the difficult history. But I think there's a way you can do it where it kind of eases the pain of having to listen to the stories and the tragedies of what happened. But being conscious then too of your audience and how what you're saying is being received by them. Because mm-hmm. I sometimes think of, sometimes I hear especially from younger artists where you're very self-focused and sort of, you know, in terms of what you're expressing or what you're putting out there. But that that's, that's much more of a consideration of, not just what you want to be saying, but how it'll be heard. Yeah, and I think is that because I'm a performance artist? Maybe, mm. maybe. I, I just think as artists, we should always be conscious of who our audience is, who's going to be looking at it. And the reality is, is that, you know, if some galleries where I show, maybe no Indigenous people go to them, you know, like there's that reality too. No, I think that's very important, and and it changes though too how that like as you say how you're approaching mm-hmm. telling that story. Yeah, and uh, yes, exactly. Like there's places where I've gone and performed where it's just been native people. Okay. Right, and so I I think about that. I have to think about that because there's certain things that I know a native art audience would get where a non-native art audience wouldn't get it. So I could I have a different freedom with an indigenous artist than audience than I do with a non-indigenous artist because we have these inside jokes right (laughs) we have these inside 
it's like an insider's thing, I guess. Sure. That, you know, we don't have to explain. And uh, with a non-Indigenous art audience, there's certain things I think that you have to take into consideration that, oh, they might not get this because they don't have that history. Right. And they probably, majority of them won't know about that history. So how do you speak to that with making it accessible? You know, because you always want to be accessible as an artist. Because if you if you're not going to be accessible as an artist, then why are you doing it? Mm. Like you know, and I think there is a lot of art out there that isn't accessible, and that's why the art world is always getting you know. Well, really, we paid two billion dollars for that line on a, a painting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, for sure, you know for the sure. history of some of the pieces the National Gallery has bought and in the criticism. <laughs> got for well, yeah like you said we should be trying to make art accessible and well i i feel that's for me as an artist and as a director of a arts organization to me that's very important it's very important that the artists that tribe brings into the city are accessible to the general public are accessible to the general public who is indigenous you know and that's why that's a huge part for us as an organization and from and I guess because I run the organization it's a huge part for me as sure. as an individual artist but isn't that also then part of the the challenge but also the opportunity of art is to express difficult histories and and to see how it, art can communicate some histories that are otherwise hard to communicate sometimes um totally and I think as artists aren't isn't that what we're doing is recording history hmm, interesting you know like we we like a hundred years from now, aren't they going to look at our art and say, "Oh, look at what they were doing back then"? Do you know? Like, isn't that how we look at artists from mm. the past? That's how I look at That's artists very from interesting, yeah. from the past. Is yeah, like I think we're history keepers of the contemporary, but eventually the contemporary is going to become the past, right? Right. So it's going to become history. Mm. So that's that's just sort of how I look at like how would somebody look at the Cosmos Squad in a hundred years from now how would like say my great-great-grandchildren if I ever have any <laughs> look look at at their great-great-grandmother's work mm. and say oh what was she thinking <laughs> you know like I always that's what I think too when I make a piece of work I think like how are indigenous people like from a hundred years or two hundred years from now going to be looking at my work will it still be relevant you know like maybe mm-hmm. it will be who knows that's yeah it's interesting to take that longer view too of like how how will this be seen not just now but later mm-hmm. understanding that it will be seen later and understood differently maybe in that context or that it represents as you say our time mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that's uh yeah it's kind of scary when we break it down to, to this level, right? It's just like, oh, yeah. It's, you know, when you're making work, you just like, I've been working with Adrian this past week because we're getting ready to go to Waterloo, as I said. And we're going to be doing a performance with Belle Savage and um, Buffalo Boy in this Airstream trailer that they have as a space at the Art Gallery of Waterloo at the university there. And... Um, I'm excited about it, but you know, like that's what we were talking about is um, uh, like how people read us. Like we've been discussing who our audience is going to be and what we're going to have them doing, and so we're kind of doing a variety show happy hour 
And this is in conjunction with Michael Farnan's no, screening or just separate? No, this okay. is um, in conjunction with, I think it's kind of a festival, a series that the University of Waterloo Art Gallery has put together called This is the Place. And so there are, I think, five different artists. Well, me and Adrian are one. One of the five uh, sets. Or... Sets, yeah. Yeah, that okay. will be performing. So we're not all performing at the same time. So we perform on Friday, and then Saturday there's a symposium, like a one-day symposium. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, very nice. And then fun. It's always nice when there's some discussion attached to the performances, I find. Yeah. And then I think it'll be interesting because then we'll be going to Mike because we perform Friday during the day. So we have Friday evening off and we will drive to London, Ontario to go, which I guess is really close. I've never been to Waterloo or London. So we're going to go to his opening, which will, I was telling Adrian, I said, I'm really nervous about going to his opening. And it's because I never show moving images of myself. And now I got to go and, you know, I've seen a rough um, cut of the film, which is funny. As it would be with Michael. Yeah. And uh, we were out at last summer, we went to Grey Owl's Cabin. Okay. And that's where we recorded. Yes, up north, correct? Yeah, and yeah. we did some also footage at Ness Creek. Right. So it's it's funny. It's, it's a funny film. And I think um, the Indigenous People Arts Collective is bringing all three of us in for their 10th anniversary in the fall. Oh, great. And I think we might be showing the film there. But he, Michael wants to come back to Saskatoon and have a screening. That'd be lovely. So, yeah. That'd be nice yeah, yeah, to bring that back to his connections from his MFA here. Yes. Well, and let's talk just briefly more about Art Athena. Mm-hmm. And if you wouldn't mind talking about, about what the curatorial process or this process has been like for you. It's been, Taryn Hughes, she's lovely. And I think she's really made a conscious and educated herself when it comes to reconciliation in indigenous people because tribe we worked with her on our 20th anniversary and we have future projects coming up with aka tribe and aka and we just talked about how um you know she says i never want tribe and aka's relationship to be where you feel like i'm we're using you right because it's so trendy right right now to, of course so anyway so that's just my thought on Taryn. i just want to put that that out there um she just approached me and uh, asked me to send her images of some work she goes I'd like to take your work to Art Athena with me and she told me what she was doing so I I and I said well okay I'll just send you a bunch of images so that's what I did and she goes I want the she wanted the triptych because it was a triptych but what we ended up doing was just doing one okay and we printed it on that sticky photo paper like it sticks to the wall right and we made it huge so it was a really huge um image which i love that it was so big so i went and saw it before it went to greece awesome and then for the cards, she made up cards and um she used another image a different image for the card so one of the one of the part of the triptych didn't get in which is okay because i i think i can either sell it as a triptych or I could sell them individually. I think I'm that's sure. up. To, so so it, it was really great working with her. I think she did a lovely job. She was texting me the other day. She said there's a lot of interest. She said the Canadian ambassador went and spent about 20 minutes within 
our show, which oh, wow. I think is great. And I think she's a very, she's a really good uh, curator who really thinks about who she picks and why she picks the artist she does and how does their work work together. And so, and I saw images on Instagram, um, some videos of them putting it up and then some video, you know, some still images. And I thought it looked really great. That's great. Yeah. Well, and it's an interesting project too, to take two Indigenous artists to Greece into it. That space. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, because myself and Scott Benabanson were the two artists she had chose. And I think all the work worked really well together because it was it, it was a really, I think when you're going to an art fair or you're curating something around an art fair, you know, you want to bring a diverse, if you're not just taking one artist, like you, if you're going to take a group of artists, you want to bring, I, th- I would think, a diverse range of work so yes. that you're showing what Canada has right because in a way she's representing Canada and this is this is our contemporary artist right so yeah and just to me too it just it's just quite a challenge to pack work up for a space half a world away and get on a plane and then put it up I mean there's there's a lot of play that has to take place. There. Oh yeah, like we, I printed they, aka hired Barb Reimer, so we we printed, um, she printed. I went and looked when it was all done, <laughs> and um, and so you know she rolled up the images because my my image was four different pieces because you can only print so big. Right. So it was four different pieces. Uh, I think she took a couple monitors with her yes. for for the video work, and then like she picked really work that she could basically put in a suitcase and take with her. And then she was texting me because she wanted to know if it would be okay if she went and put up my work just somewhere on the streets okay. of Athens because I guess there's a lot of that that goes on there. But my piece was too big. Oh, really? So she's good. she goes, I'll fold it up and bring it back. Because I said, if you're not going to bring it back, make sure you like rip it up or destroy it, right? right? Because I've had work in a show in London where they weren't going to ship it back to me. So I told them I wanted it destroyed. Okay. And they put it by <laughs> this dumpster. <laughs> and so this family came and they took it. And because the gallery had, it was in an old mansion, like an old English manor or wherever this gallery was, they had cameras, so they caught the people and they got, were able to get their license plates and they called, they found them and told them they had to bring it back, but apparently it was their teenage son, it was an image of the surfer, their teenage son wanted <laughs> So oh, that's amazing. That's performance art right there. Like, yeah, oh. yeah. And then another friend of mine was a uh, uh, what was he? he was a outfitter for uh, fishing way up in up north somewhere, real far. You got to fly in. And he goes, "There's this guy has has an image of your surfer on his coffee mug. Did you make mugs?" I said, <laughs> "No." And I said, "Ask him how, where he got it from." So apparently, his wife works in the arts. And it was one of these travel mugs where you could put an image down inside of it, yeah, like a okay. photograph. So it was my it was my actual uh, postcard that I had created. Around That's amazing. <laughs> and, 
that was... recreated as a travel vlogger. Yeah. Wow. So then I thought, oh, I gotta start making some merch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some merch to go along with the Cosmos Quanda. As surfer. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. That'd be great. Um, yeah. But I was just looking at uh, the surfer because I sold my last light box, my Duratrans, to the Sask Artsboard collection. Oh, good. And so I... Uh, somebody approached me, a pretty well-known artist from Vancouver, approached me about wanting to buy the beaver bikini. Next year is going to be 20 years old. Oh, so wow. I was talking to James Luna and I said, I think I'm going to do, because I was asking, like, how much should I sell the, for a bikini for if I sell? And he goes, oh, you know, so I was getting prices. And I said, but I think before I do it, I think I'm going to do a photo shoot, call it 20 years later. So this winter, I think I'll, I'll do a photo Great. shoot of... The surfer revisited. <laughs> That's great, and bring up some of those photos with some of the old photos, or no, no just no, bring just up the new ones. The new oh, that's ones. lovely. And then I'll sell the the beaver skin bikini. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, thank you, Laurie, and thanks for coming on. This has been lovely talking. So. Okay, thank you. Well, thanks again. I'm Michael. You've been listening to Unframed Conversations about the Arts on CFCR ninety point five FM in Saskatoon. A reminder, as always, you can find us on social media. We're Unframed Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you'd like to listen again to this episode or to any of our past episodes, you can listen to our podcast at unframedradio.com or on iTunes. Thank you and have a good evening.